The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning again. My name is John, and I am one of the pastors here at Westway Christian Church. And today we're going to be looking at four different uh, sets of text. We're going to be looking at Genesis 17, uh, 1 through 6. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at Galatians 2, a few verses from that. And then finally, Revelation 7 and 9. And I would encourage you to go ahead and turn to uh, Genesis 17. We'll be there in a few minutes. So it was our original plan this morning uh, to have a conversation with uh, someone here from Scotts Bluff named Val Rodriguez. Um, every Wednesday, when I do my sermon prep time, I always go to Cappuccino and Company. Uh, it's where my wife works, and it's a great uh, place also to just make connections with people in our community. And I walked in, this was Wednesday, maybe six or eight weeks ago, and was um, going to my normal little spot. And Val was sitting behind me. I had ne- never met her before. And my son John comes out because he also works at Cappuccino and Company. And he asked me kind of a question for some things that he had been thinking about. And it was really interesting, uh, not knowing Val, she answered John's question. And then we, uh, like I turned around and we had this conversation. Uh, John was asking her a little bit about who she was and where she was from. And she is someone who uh, immigrated to the United States when she was three years old. So we had this 45 minute long conversation about immigration, about um, what it's like to be from a different, uh, from, a, from minority race here in Scotts Bluff. And as soon as, she, as soon as I left that day, I thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring Val, I'm gonna ask Val to join us on a Sunday morning when we talk about the topic that we're gonna cover uh, today. And then 2020 happened, and we got, we got a ton of snow today, and I sent her a text this morning and asked if she thought she was gonna be able to make it. She told me she was not. So what we're gonna do sometime over the next week or so we're going to get together and we're going to do, and we'll record a video interview with her and I'll post that online. And what that meant for me was I had to completely redo what I thought I was going to talk about initially at the beginning of our message time today. So what I thought I would do is just do a little bit of a recap of what we've been talking about in this series. We called it, we've called it Kingdom 2020. As you know, I don't have to tell you, we are in an election season and we are bombarded with communication, with suggestions about who we should vote for, how we should vote, all of those kinds of things. It can be really easy for us in our society to lose sight of what God has us, has for us, what God's kingdom looks like. So this, this message series, we're gonna be done actually the Sunday after the election on November 8th. Um, that doesn't mean we're gonna know who the winner is, um, but... On November 3rd, there's going to be an election in person, and we're going we're gonna to finish that this series then, but I wanted to talk about some, some kingdom principles during this series and help, help people, help our church body, help those who might be watching and engage us kind of understand and, and reorient ourselves around the things that are important to us as Christians. So the very first week, we talked about uh, King Solomon and the point of that message was we need wisdom. We need God's wisdom. If we wanna be obedient to him, we need to know as much of what he knows as we possibly can. So we wanna ask him for wisdom. 
And my hope is coming out of that message on that day, have you been praying and asking for God's wisdom? Have you been begging him to give you wisdom? The week after that, we talked about the concept of the separation of church and state. We talked about how the church and the state each have separate roles and responsibilities within our society. And that's okay. We do not, as Christians, as the church, we do not want the state either defining a state church, a state religion, and we don't want them telling us how to worship God. That's our responsibility as Christians. We have that role. So, so the Christian way, believe it or not, is a separation between church and state. They are two different things. They have two different roles. They have two different responsibilities. And that doesn't mean that the church um, can't support the state and the state can't support the church. But what it does mean is they are separate. They have different roles and different responsibilities. And then last week, we talked about Romans chapter 13, verses one through seven. We talked about the authority that government has to wield the sword, to set up laws. And often they do that for what's in their own best interest and what they think the best interest of the population is. And as Christians, it is our duty. It is our responsibility. This is what Paul tells uh, to the church in Rome, to people who are being persecuted for their faith, literally persecuted for their faith. He tells them it is their responsibility and therefore it is our responsibility to be obedient to the state until our obedience with the state collides with our obedience to God. And what we have to recognize, what we need to recognize is when we make that choice, when we make the choice to obey God rather than state, one of the things that we can expect is for the state to wield its sword upon us. We should not be surprised by that because again, the church and the state are separate. So in a lot of ways, the church and the state actually have a different set of values. So when we collide against the state, we can expect the state to wield the sword. We wanna go into it knowing that that is the situation. And I, I think of the scene um, in the book of Acts where the apostles have been called in front of the Jewish leaders and they say, who do you expect us to obey? The Jewish leaders tell them that they have to stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. And the apostles say, who should we listen to? Should we listen to you or should we listen to God? Well, we're going to listen to God. And then it says they were flogged, which means they were whipped and they were beaten. And then they left. And it's interesting. It says they counted themselves. They were, they were joyful that they counted themselves worthy of being punished for the cause of Christ. So as Christians, when we choose to obey the church or we choose to obey God rather than the state, I suggest that what we might do is rejoice that, that we have been counted worthy to stand up for God, which is probably a little different way than we look at how we think about persecution. But we wanna count ourselves worthy that God has considered us to pay the penalty, pay the cost of standing up for God. So today we're gonna, we're gonna talk, we're still gonna have the same conversation, the same talk about what, what a kingdom value of, of God's people being multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-lingual, multinational. We're gonna talk about three things today. God's plan for being glorified among the nations was to form for himself a people. So God's plan in or for, him to be, um, for him to be glorified among all of the nations was to form a people. And he does this throughout history and throughout the Bible. The second thing we're gonna talk about is the scope of God's kingdom is all the nations, all of them. 
Not some of them, all of the nations. And here's the third thing, that the necessary power for fulfilling this is the Holy Spirit. We will not be able to fulfill what God has for us unless we have the power of the Holy Spirit, unless we are utilizing and accessing the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so we're gonna start off, we're gonna start off in Genesis 17. We're gonna read the first six um, verses from that. It says this, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai. That's not just an Amy Grant song. He said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be called Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among you. So here's what God is telling Abraham, that he is forming for himself a people. God is forming for himself a people and they're gonna be spread throughout the entire earth. And they're gonna go out and they're going to create culture. They're gonna build nations. They're gonna demonstrate individuality. They're going to be different people groups. Like the gifts that God is eventually going to give to all of the people in the book of Acts. Paul talks about this. These are going to be people who are unified, but they're not uniform. They're gonna be different. They're going to look different. Their cultures are going to be different. They're going to speak different languages. But God's desire is to, is to have those people set up for him. So they are unified in their worship of God, but they are not uniform in the way they culturally behave and the way that they culturally act. And the rest of the Old Testament is filled with story upon story of, of people gathering in this unity and purpose. We see this throughout the story of Israel. They gather together and then eventually they reject one another and they reject God. They reject the nations. And as we read several months ago, back at the, back at the beginning of, back in June, we talked about in Ezra and Nehemiah, God has set another nation over Israel and he has dispersed them and God has judged them. And then later, and we flip over into the New Testament, into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. At just the right time, God sent his son, Jesus, the long-promised Messiah, to be the embodiment of the kingdom and its values. See, Jesus came as our Messiah, but he also came as a demonstration of what God looked like. And part of what God looked like was these kingdom-oriented values. One of those kingdom-oriented values is a multitude of nations, a multitude of people from every background. Jesus proclaimed the good news of himself, the good news of salvation to fishermen and to tax collectors and to zealots and to Pharisees and teachers of the law. 
He proclaimed this good news to Gentile women and to Samaritans and to Roman centurions. Jesus was an equal opportunity proclaimer of his kingdom. No one was left out. And Jesus was killed on a cross for the payment of our sins and then he was resurrected. And after his resurrection, he appeared before his disciples and he gave them a mission. It's Matthew 28. Go into all the nations proclaiming the good news. And then he told them that a helper was coming. This helper was called the Holy Spirit. And if we go to Acts chapter two, we can read today what that, what that looks like. And we're gonna read actually all of Acts chapter two this morning because I want you to see, I want you to remember as I'm, real, as I'm reading this this morning and you're following along, I want you to remember those three things. God's plan for being glorified among the nations was to form for himself a people. How is God going to be glorified? By people who are from every nation, all the nations. And the necessary power for this is the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna see all three of these things in Acts chapter two. So follow along with me. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like tongues, flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. So not only were Jews gathered from all of the other nations into Jerusalem on this day of Pentecost, they were gathered there for, for a Jewish religious ritual. There were also Jews from many nations that lived in Jerusalem. They were all gathered there. That wasn't, it wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't a happenstance that this happened on this day in this particular time. The people were completely amazed. How can they, this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to, to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. Listen to how they justified this. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying they're just drunk. That's all. Then Peter, and I love it was Peter that says this, stepped forward with the 11 other disciples and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see, remember what I said earlier, that God's plan for being glorified among the nations was to form for himself a people. And we see this throughout scripture. What you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. See, the kingdom of God is for all people. And they will prophesy and I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders and signs through him. As you well know, see, this is within 50 days of Jesus's execution on the cross. These are people who many of them in Jerusalem, they would have known what had happened that day. But God knew this would happen. And he pre his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope for you will not leave my dead soul among the dead or allow your holy one to rot in the grave. You've shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself for he died and was buried and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on the throne. Remember what God told Abram, that kings would come from him? This is the fulfillment of scripture. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead. And we are all witnesses of this. Now he's exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the father, as he has promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and to those far away. See, Peter wasn't only talking to the people who were there. He was talking to the people who were going to be saved through the proclamation of this message over time. Peter was talking about us. If you're a Christian today, Peter is talking about you. He doesn't know he's talking about you, but he's talking about you. He's talking about you because he believed in the promises that were made to Abraham centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries earlier. That God would be worshiped. God was going to gather together for himself a people. And they were gonna come from everywhere. This promise is to you, to your children and those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. 
Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. So this is the result. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many, many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to the fellowship those who were being saved. See, God has formed for himself a people. This was his plan. He formed for himself a people. And the purpose of this people, the purpose of this gathering was to glorify God. And the scope of this plan was all of the nations. See, that's why Luke lists them all in Acts chapter two, verses nine to 11. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans, and Arab, Arabs. See, God, Paul, Luke lists these because he wants you to know that these are people from all of the nations. God has a plan. But he also says, and we see this here, that the necessary power for fulfilling that plan is the Holy Spirit. That was the tongues of fire over their heads. That was the speaking of the different languages. That wasn't something that they did. They could only do that because of the Holy Spirit. And the rest of the book of Acts, we read through this several years ago. The rest of the book of Acts bears this out. We see this tension building among God's people as the gospel expands throughout Asia. These people, these Christians are going to follow the same thing that their Jewish ancestors followed. Rather than seeking unity, purpose, and love through the power of the Holy Spirit, what they're going to begin to do is they're going to be pressed upon themselves to divide. You can read this in Acts. You can read this through Paul's letters. We see this tension because we as humans, it's our bent, it's our natural state to want to divide, to want to separate from those who are not like us. And this happens throughout the New Testament. The people begin to divide over lots of things. They divide over circumcision. They divide over adherence to Jewish laws, about Sabbath days and food laws and all of these different things. And in Corinth, this power dynamic reveals itself the most over the Lord's Supper, this division among the people. See, what happens when we don't depend on the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us in unity, we will separate. And what was happening in Corinth, and we read this text almost every Sunday here at Westway when we talk about communion. We read from 1 Corinthians. And what was happening there is the wealthy and the privileged and the powerful when they would gather together for their house church gathering, 
the wealthy, the privileged, and the powerful, they, you know, they didn't work. So when it was house church time, they would show up, and you can read this in 1 Corinthians. They'd eat all the good food, they'd drink all the good wine. And then by the time their house slaves, their servants showed up, there was nothing for them to eat. See, this ruined community. And I love Paul. I paraphrased it. Are you serious? Don't you have your own homes to eat and drink in? Or are you just out to malign God and embarrass the marginalized in your church? Is that really what communion, is that really what the Lord's Supper is about? Paul says, do you really want me to praise you? You expect me to praise you for this? For the way that you're behaving, you expect me to give you good comments and and write something to you that will build you up and encourage you? Paul says, I'm not gonna do it. They were acting outside the bounds of the Holy Spirit. They weren't being obedient to what God had called them to. And we have to remember that this is our bent. We have to remember that if we are not depending on the power of the Holy Spirit to demonstrate unity, purpose, and love in our lives, we are going to be like the church in Corinth. We're going to divide. We're going to separate And often those lines are going to be along economic lines and racial lines. We have to acknowledge this is true about ourselves. Because if we don't, we're not not understanding the realities of our own sinfulness. And a little bit later, this actually, you can flip to Galatians uh, chapter two. As much as it revealed itself at the church in Corinth along economic lines and class status lines. This marginalization of people revealed itself in a far more insidious way. Let's read Galatians chapter two, verses 11 to 21. But when Peter came to Antioch, remember this is the same Peter this is, this is not a different person. This is the same Peter who stands up boldly on that day in Jerusalem and openly proclaims a gospel that is for everyone. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Don't miss this. This divide between Jew and Gentile was race-based. And yes, it was about circumcision, absolutely. But if you read through the Old Testament, you will constantly see this separation between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews were constantly separating themselves away from the Gentiles. 
And as we talked about when we read through Ezra and Nehemiah back in June, they were constantly separating themselves away from the people that they were supposed to be salt and light to. They were supposed to be the city shining on the hill. They were supposed to be the nation that everyone else was, wanted to be like. And instead, what they did was they separated themselves from those Gentiles. Don't miss what Peter's doing. When his old Jewish friends are gone, Peter is the best friend of Gentiles. But as soon as his Jewish friends show up, he retreats. He's embarrassed. He's ashamed. When I saw, this is Paul, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, that's what this is about. This is not about racism. This is not about class warfare. This is not about class or race division. This is about the gospel. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all of the others, imagine this moment. Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. This is all sarcasm. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made with right, right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ Jesus, and then we are found guilty because we've abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us to sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I'm a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law and I stopped trying to meet all its requirements that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. See, Paul is telling Peter that what you're doing, Peter, is a gospel issue. And when you separate yourself out like this, you are not living as a true Jew, someone who wants to be obedient to God, and you are maligning God. You are teaching a false gospel. This is heavy work. This is a heavy message for us. This is why we must be aware in the time in which we live, we must not choose the way of the world and separate from other people. We ought not separate by race or class. We need to preach a whole gospel. These were people, whether in Corinth or in Galatia, who were not utilizing and accessing the power of the Holy Spirit. They were doing what they always wanted to do. They were doing what their culture told them to do. In Corinth, they were using their power and their prestige. And in Galatia, they were referring back to the law that called them to be separate. They were choosing a false gospel. 
we need the Holy Spirit. If we wanna live the life that God has called us to, if we wanna be obedient to what God has called us to, we need to access the Holy Spirit. And you know what doesn't happen? The Holy Spirit doesn't just sprinkle Holy Spirit fairy dust on us and we all figure out how to live out the gospel. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If the Holy Spirit just, while he was dwelling within us, if we just automatically lived changed lives. That's not the way it's worked in my life. And my guess is it's not the way it's worked in your life. You had to work at it. Because our bent is sin. Even though I have been saved and, and for those of you who have accepted Christ, you have been saved, even though you are different people, when God looks upon you and sees you as, as new, you are not yet at the place where you are sanctified. You are not yet at the place where you are personally holy. So what this means is we have to work at it. We have to access it. We have to demonstrate the evidence that we have been saved. A little bit later in Galatians, Paul's gonna talk about something that Christians call the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. These things, all of them are character traits that we must work at. God is calling us into the hard work of relationships with people, and this takes effort. How do we do this? How do we access this? Well, one of the books that I, that I have been reading for this series is called How the Nations Rage. And he, Jonathan Lehman is the author, and he, he talks about how do we talk about things that are difficult for us to talk about? How do we do that? He talks about um, the concept of straight lines and jagged lines. And so here's, you're gonna see on the screen, here's an illustration of a jagged or a straight line judgment. So when we read through the Bible, we're going to see that there are dozens upon dozens upon dozens of verses where God talks about his heart for immigrants. Here are two. Leviticus 19, verses 33 and 34. Don't take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Here's Exodus 22, 21. You must not mistreat or oppress foreigners in any way. Remember you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Here's what I would encourage you to do today. I would encourage you to go home Maybe your Bible, if it has a concordance in the back, look for the word immigrant that's in the back and look up those verses and see what God's heart is. You can leave that up there for just another second. See, God cares about immigrants. That's a straight line principle. So I can stand up here or one of our other pastors can stand up on here as the church. We can say, you know what? God cares about immigrants. God cares about foreign people. It's a straight line. There's no misinterpretation. But how are we then to love the foreigner? How do we treat immigrants? How do we have, like, what's our, poli what's our national policy on immigration and foreigners? Jonathan Lehman would, would call that a jagged line. You're going to see that up here as well. See, the Bible doesn't tell us those answers the Bible doesn't tell us how many immigration statuses we should have as a nation. 
The Bible doesn't say lots of things. The Bible doesn't say you should have a 50 foot border wall. So as a church, as Christians, thinking about this jagged line argument, what that means is we might sit down with one another and actually have a conversation about an immigration policy. That's why, because this is jagged line, myself and none of our other pastors are ever going to stand in front of you and say, the Christian position on border policy is this. Because there's not one. This is conscience. This is individual relationship with the Holy Spirit. This is a, this is a jagged line judgment. To where each one of us might come down differently on this. And that's okay. Isn't this what we need in our nation right now? Is actually a conversation where we can sit down with someone who believes differently than, not, than us and not leave angry. That was what I loved so much six or eight weeks ago with my conversation that I had with Val at Cap Co. I wish she could have been here this morning. Because I could ask her, like she made me feel so comfortable that I could ask her anything about immigration and immigrants in Scotts Bluff. We talked again for an hour and 15 minutes this past Thursday. Where she told me more of her story. And we actually said, I think there are some things we probably disagree on. Hey, see you Sunday morning. Like that was our conversation. Because as Christians, we want to be consistent on the straight line, right? The things that God speaks directly about, we want to be consistent on those. The things that God doesn't speak directly about, we want to be open with one another. I think we could talk about this concept with a concept or subject of abortion as a, for instance. You know what? Straight line. It's wrong. I'll stand up here. And I'll say that any time. Abortion is wrong. But here's the jagged line. How do we fight it? Do we protest? See, some people might want to go and stand and protest in front of an abortion clinic. Other people might want to support ministries like Embrace Grace that we have here at Westway Christian Church or Options Pregnancy Care Center. What none of us are ever going to do is stand up in front of you as a church physician and say, if you're a Christian, you have to go protest in front of a abortion clinic. We're not going to do that. Because this is a jagged line issue. There are lots of ways that we can stand up for God's value of life. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Think about those graphics that were on the screen. Think about what most of your conversations look like. And there are going to be times. There are going to be times where some people think something that is straight is jagged. Well, what are you going to do then? Type up a three paragraph flamer on Facebook and hit enter. No, why don't you have a conversation? Why don't you sit down with them and have a conversation? And for this, we need the Holy Spirit. Because when we have the Holy Spirit, we are reminded 
that the person who is sitting across from me is a human being made in the image of God. And there is so much caricaturing right now in our nation. There is so much othering right now in our nation. All people who believe this are automatically like that. I know that none of us like it when people do that to us. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal to us how we are to treat one another. And that starts with recognizing that they are human beings. I'm gonna read one more text from you. This is a reality. Like there's a lot of things going on right now. I hear people talking about the book of Revelation. There's no S in that. I hear the people talking about, a lot of people talking a lot about the book of Revelation right now. Here's Revelation 7, 9 to 10. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lord. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from God who sits, from our God who sits on the throne and from the land. See, God is building for himself a people. These are people that are bent on glorifying him. And they're gonna come from everywhere. I love that, it, that, that the word languages is mentioned in there. Because I think sometimes we have this idea that in heaven we're all gonna speak the same language. And most of us would probably think like that that language is going to be English. But that's not what the Bible says. Multiple languages, every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. This is a promise. This is the way God is orchestrating all things. And we have the opportunity to love and to serve and disciple and proclaim the gospel to people here in Scotts Bluff that are different from us. And I would encourage you to join him in that mission. And what that means for, for some of us is we have to meet people who are different than us. We have to swallow our own pride. We have to swallow our own arrogance and go and meet other people. I don't want to be confronted by someone like Paul asking me why I'm too good for those other nations. And my hunch is you don't want that either. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for the opportunity that we have to gather this morning. We're thankful for the boldness of your word that calls us to live differently. I know there have been times where I've not given people who are not like me, I've not given them the demonstration that they too are made in your own image. It's easy for me to, to, to characterize and mischaracterize and stereotype people who are different than I am. And that's, that's a sin. Your own word says that. says that pagans judge people from the outside, but God looks at the heart. And God, I want a heart like yours. I want, I want the people of Westway Christian Church, I want the, all of the believers in Scotts Bluff to have a heart like yours, where we see people for who they really are made in your image and designed by you to glorify you. God, that's a sin when we do that. And I, we need to repent. 
So would you forgive us of that? And then would you give us the desire to seek out all nations and proclaim your gospel? It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.